Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. For all of you listening in last week and you didn't hear us, my apologies. Had a family emergency at my house, so... Thanks so much for sticking with us. We are back again. I feel like last week was a huge week with the tax referendum, and I was dying to talk about it. But I feel like we can still talk about it. It's still an issue. And there's so much else going on right now with the impeachment hearings. We've got the legislature raring to go. They're in session right now. So a ton to talk about. We have with us today Senator Dan McKay, who snuck down off the hill. And with us, of course, from the Exoro Group is Mara Carabello. Thanks for being here, guys. Hello. Hey, good to be back. Hey, all right. Everyone take a deep breath because we've got a lot to dig through. Uh, first off, I want to talk a little bit about that um, tax reform. We're going to get to the legislature in session, but I have been amazed by how many signatures there are. Mara, we were talking about when this started that we just didn't think that they could get the signatures. They surpassed the 115. Last time I checked, it was 137,000 something they'd counted up. Right. It's amazing. We've never seen anything like this before. Um, it really was also grassroots. I mean, you have to give some credit to some large retail outlets mm-hmm. <laughs> that really made that came happen, in and right? It, so, yeah. I, but but really, there wasn't this um, special interest. I mean, there wasn't something really prepared. And looking at the number of signatures, it was phenomenal. And I don't think we've seen anything like this. I get, I say this more tactically than anything, yeah. but yeah. just we haven't seen anything like this. I think in Utah's history. The thing that I think is interesting, too, is how everything rolled out afterwards. The governor talked about it at his weekly uh, news conference last week. He said that he applauded those who've engaged in the civic process and made their voices heard, which I think was the interesting part of democracy at work. He says, we are not foes on a political battlefield. We are all Utahns committed to getting our tax policy right. That work is just beginning. So now it gets thrown back. The legislature on its first day, um, Dan, said, okay, we're done with it. It's been repealed. But there are some senators on the Hill, I will leave them nameless right now, who have responded not very nice to a few of their constituents saying, you didn't understand it in not so uncertain terms, kind of your idiots. It's been an interesting process. Did people not understand the tax bill and perception became reality? Should we be angry about this or do we just wipe the slate clean and start over again? I'm surprised how many people are engaged with tax policy, period. I know, it's right? not very fun. It's, it, well, one, it's not, it's not fun, and it's not something that it comes naturally. So there's like you know a lot of kind of academic work that takes to, to get there. If the tax policy was perfectly understood by all the people who signed the referendum, I would be surprised. Uh, I would go further, and I would say afterwards, I've been impressed by the number of people who have emailed me afterwards saying, uh, I just learned... I signed the referendum. I just learned all of the elements of the tax policy, and I don't want you to vote for it. And this was, you know, literally minutes before the repeal. And at that point, 
you know, the, the, the work has been undone at that point. So it really wasn't relevant, but I've received a few of those emails where people say, well, I, I get it now. I wish I hadn't signed the referendum, which is fine. My, my comment to the referendum, you know, crowd and those who didn't like the bill, fine. It's, it's the challenge that I always ask. All right, it's great. You can be a no, but I can tell you this. If you say no, now what? So I will, so I'm going to jump in on a couple of just um, a couple of juxtapositions. I would be surprised if every legislator who voted for the tax policy understood it as well. So I mean that's the beautiful part about a lay legislature is that I I want to acknowledge the hours and hours that they spend on topics that the public doesn't. But to create a disparity in which the legislators know everything and and referendums or initiatives don't, I think is a little unfair. But I do want to give credit to the um, Senate and House and Governor about a great statement when they came out saying, listen, we're not foes in this process. I do still want to keep it incumbent upon the electeds to help solve the problem. I have seen a couple of people this week get a little, a couple of elected officials get a little snarky about, we'll find them. We'll just leave it. And I'm like, well, you can't be petulant right now. (laughs) You need to get back on the horse. Now, the citizens can't be either. It is not theirs. I want to move this conversation to just one more set of activism. And this is is uh, pro-current legislature. So uh, this is not me trying to kick people out. But one thing that I love about this is we got engaged, right? Mm-hmm. We're having the discussion. We are um, we, we signed petitions. We, as, as legislators, put hours and hours into public hearings. So there's this moment in time right now that we don't talk a lot about. We're going into February and then March. March is when you can file to run for the state legislature. All of the House is up. Half of the Senate is up. And I would just say right now, if you've ever thought about running for office or if you have a neighbor who you want to run for office, now is the time to go online to the elections office and see if it's something for you. And what I would say is this is not a throw the bums out. If you love your conservative legislator, are, are, excuse me, if you want a conservative legislator, keep a conservative legislator. Yeah. I'm not telling you to change parties. I'm not telling you to even, um, I'm not support your incumbent. But now is a time, and I think most elected officials would welcome this activity level, but take a look. Um, consider running for office yourself. Consider s- taking your seat at the table. And, and part of why we have a lay legislature is so that, average Utahns have a chance to also represent. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand making these decisions is not easy. I think the thing that killed this was the food tax. It wasn't popular. So I think that's really where it came in, and communication is going to be important moving forward. But, Dan, this had to be killed because you couldn't let this keep going when you're in a session. You have to figure out a budget. So what happens going forward? Do you just wait now? Well, that's my, I mean, you know, I know Maura wanted to jump in, but that leads off where I left my last statement, which is now what? Like, where do we go from here? And, and how do we move forward with a policy that then balances the budget, or, you know, helps us repair the structural imbalance issues that we've talked about? And now a lot more taxpayers are informed on that they weren't informed before. So now what? Like, you know, do we start seeing cuts within the state budget so that we can, you know, be able to afford some of the issues that we know we need to pay for this year? I don't know. I'm, I, I, that's why for me and I and, and the interesting the interesting part is trying to figure out with legislative leadership, where do we go and how do we get there? I think you're going to see, if I was to predict, I think you're going to see some shifting around of the budget. Uh, We do have some items that are in the uh, general fund that could be paid for by education. 
Uh, we covered that during our town halls this last year. And so you'll see some of that. And then, you know, we'll, we'll look at kind of on the edges where we can do some things. But even on the edges, it's not going to solve the long-term problem, which is our requirements in the general fund are growing faster than our requirements in the education fund. But we do have the tools. We have the tools and we have the wherewithal. You know, we on one hand can't tout that we're the best managed state in the nation and then tout that we're one legislative session away from crisis. And you, you have to pick a lane. We're either mm-hmm. well-managed, which I am in the well-managed lane. Mm-hmm. And and so I, f- I, I find it, I, I'm, I'm not sort of buying the, and I don't think you were saying this, Senator, mm-hmm. but I'm not buying the it's catastrophic now because I yeah. do believe we're one of the best managed states. So we had this moment of crisis and and the legislature stepped up and said, in order to govern right now, we need to put this to, to bed right now so we can get an active, productive budget. But I will say... Um, this doom and gloom of we can't pay for anything now and we we don't even know how to move forward is not becoming of the best managed state in the nation, which I believe we are. So I think we have some room. I think many people think there's an imbalance. I do think there's a more um, robust conversation to be had about user fees and how uh, we use sales taxes. And I don't think we fully explored those areas as much as we could. And I think that's what the referendum said. It's not that maybe you won't seek to still have balance on the sales side, but it's rather, did we go through? Did we hire consultants? Frankly, did we see enough data? And, and that's where I would say it fell short. Really, I want to be taxed where I'm not paying attention is what we're saying. When that's you have right. to look at your food bill and your receipt every time, it's not very fun. But <laughs> Which is ironic, though, because right. most people prefer the sales tax and they get least angry about the sales tax element because it's death by a thousand paper cuts sure. as opposed to an income tax where they file their return and they see exactly what they paid that year or even worse, the property tax where they get a bill and, right. it's and a it big shows up. All at once. It's a big It's a big chunk all at once as opposed to the food taxes, much smaller increments, you know, you Bleed to death slowly. I know. I guess we don't like our taxes anywhere. We have to have. I was going to say that was the one thing. The conversation. That was the one thing I think everybody could agree on is it seems no one likes taxes, and that that's the one element everybody agreed on. And sorry, tax and death are not popular here in the state of Utah, (laughs) but we're going to keep working on the problem. So. the legislative session literally just started, and you created yourself a nice little firestorm already. You've been very popular on the news, on Twitter, mm-hmm. and by popular, I mean popular to talk about. Uh, you filed an abortion bill, mm-hmm. and then you also filed another bill about judges, and that's where you were getting the hate, the judges one, more than abortion, which is surprising. Mm. Yeah. Let's start with the abortion bill. We talk about abortion in Utah on a very regular basis. It's something that matters to people here, but it never seems to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Why file this time and specifically what you're filing? Tell us what you want to file. Well, we've seen, you know, we've seen changes across the country to abortion bills, right? You've, you've seen the dramatic one end of Georgia, which is a, you know, a heartbeat bill. And then you've, you've seen other states where they come up with a complete ban. And you see them wanting to push these into the Supreme Court for decisions and yeah. those kinds of things. And on the other end, you see states like Virginia, where everybody says, well, by all means, you know, right up until the minute of birth, go ahead and abort. And so you're looking at those two far extremes and you're saying, well, where are we at in this element, right? And I've known, and I think my constituents have agreed with me for a long time, that being, you know, in Utah, we've been very pro-life and how do we, you know, enforce that policy here in the state of Utah? 
And the bill that I filed is a is an elective abortion ban, uh, but that has some caveats, just like we currently have in our code, where you know for health of the mother or uh, and and for health of the child or you know that, those kinds of things. There are those exceptions there. That said, it has a trigger on it that says, hey, if the Supreme Court ever says it's okay to ban, then the ban's in place. And if they don't, then it won't ever go into effect. Is Dan wasting your time, or is this something that matters? I'm a pragmatist when it comes to bills, and uh, I don't think there's space right now that it needs. I think that Utah has always been very clear, actually, and this is the byproduct of having a dominant party and a dominant uh, culture. And so I think it's unnecessary, and I think it's a play for a larger national issue, and I don't think that's the best way to spend the 45 days. I'll also just say that we are at a historic level of um, abortion uh, lo- low abortion rates mm-hmm. in the state of Utah and actually nationally, and so if we're looking at this only three thousand, but if we're looking at this as a health policy, which mm-hmm. is what you're chartered to do as the legislature, right. you're not the moral police. Sure. You're the police. Uh, you know, you're you sort of there for the legislation. I would argue that it is. Um, without practical need, and so what it is is a cultural statement. And while I can appreciate it, I don't find it to have the weight of um, the needs being, you know, as we just discussed, we have potentially budget shortfalls. We have lots and lots of needs, and I say, so to shortcut it, I think it's a message, Bill. I notice a lot of people who've been born feel that way, and, and that's usually how they discuss it is it's not pragmatic, it doesn't make sense. Because I've been born, and I shouldn't have to worry about anybody who's unborn. And for me, like, that type of talk is hilarious and sad at the same time. Because for the most part, at the end of the day, when you're talking about someone's life, it is really, really convenient to value your own and dis- and undervalue someone else's. But we're not talking about speech. You have every right to have this speech. We're talking about you using taxpayer money to make um, what you find as philosophical arguments because they're not grounded in health arguments. And so I appreciate the right to speech, who's, and I say, who's and I say, go, who's I say go at that. Again, you're we overvaluing the health of the living. We don't lack clarity on this issue okay. in the great state of Utah. I think you two are not going to agree on this. Uh, I want to get to your other bill in a minute, but Mara mentioned a message bill. And there's another bill where I just rolled my eyes when I saw it. I'm like, okay, you're wasting our time for reals here. But there was a bill, uh, I think, from Representative Tim Quinn to recall a United States senator. I'm assuming that United States senator will be uh, Senator Mitt Romney just elected and who has on a daily basis reminded us that he does indeed want witnesses, and if not witnesses, at least one witness in the impeachment impeachment trial being Mr. Bolton. Is this something you guys should even be talking about? Can a state legislature really, I don't know, Mara, I'm, I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but I don't think you can recall a federal official inside of a state. So this representative is hearkening back, way back, way, way back. There was a day when actually the legislature appointed uh, U.S. senators and they could recall. Uh, those days are over. We've replaced them with elections. Uh, it, this is an instance where we do not need our legislature substituting their judgment for our own judgment, um, and there's just no use for this or, or no purpose. And so I think this is absolutely just a tangent, Bill. Is there room in your day to have a tangent? statement here on we don't like what senator romney's doing 
Well, I, you know, the sponsor made it very clear that it wasn't about Senator Romney. Some have right. said, some have said it was about Senator Lee, right? So okay. I, I would, I would argue that there are some who say it's about Senator Lee, some who say it's about, it's a binary choice, it's one or the other, and uh, I guess the third option is it's about none of them, right? This U.S. Senator is the longest serving elected official in, you know, those are the longest terms, and so people say, well, is there a and this actually does happen because I see different behavior in elected officials the year they're up for election. I see yeah. it. Uh, I'm a little more on edge about things myself when I know the election is around the corner. Uh, this is the first time I'm up for election that I, or sorry, this is the first time in since I've been elected that I'm not actually up for election in a general election. And it does feel weird that everybody else is like kind of gearing up and I'm not. So the U.S. Senate Six-year terms is a long time, and the framers meant for it to be for them to be the deliberative body, and then for them not to feel the pressure of everyday politics. And so, I'm not sure, given the option to vote on this bill, that I would vote in favor of it for the reason of its design, its its purpose. The president is four years, the House is two years, the senators are six, and the Senate is supposed to be this deliberative element. They were supposed to be, because of their makeup, since there's two of them per state, and because there's two of them per state, they were originally intended to protect the state's interests and keep the state's interest at, at heart, and then the House was meant to keep the citizens' uh, interests at heart. This is the original framer mentality. And then the 17th Amendment came along and changed the senators to popularly elected as opposed to the state legislature. And, you know, I, I don't like the 17th Amendment. I really do think that Washington has unmoored itself from uh, from the uh, from the states and the interests of the states. Some people think that's good. Some don't. I'm in the legislature currently, and I wished our senators paid more attention to stuff we cared about. They don't. Um, but as far as, like, the recall, I don't know. I, I don't know that recalls uh, – elections happen often enough with most other offices that I'm not sure a recall – really matters other than to say it adds a you know there's an additional process i guess there's an additional accountability at what price and that's that's the part and, and i'll add this too i'm not sure it's constitutional i think the federal government gives <laughs> the constitution yeah so, so <laughs> I, again i'm not i'm not a constitutional lawyer but i play one it on tv but i will say that if you look at the um the really the only thing U.S. Constitution gives the states is it allows the states to control the election process, like how they're elected, but it doesn't divest the states in any ability to a recall or any of those things. And so I'm pretty sure the time, place, and manner is mm -hmm. really all that we do, and right. otherwise... They're not going to let Utah be the exception. I'm not going to let Utah mm, be the exception. That's not going to work out. Um, speaking of being unpopular, right now, if you're running for homecoming queen, you are not going to win, Mr. McKay. So yesterday on Twitter, you had a few foes, uh, including Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, also a candidate for governor. He said, it would be impossible for me to overstate what a terrible idea this is, that mm. idea being yours, proposing constitutional amendment to have judges in Utah run for election instead of being appointed by the governor. We should point out that some people might think that they're elected because once they are a judge, we do have to retain them and you vote on those. But we're not technically originally voting for the judge to be there. Why do you want us to elect them? Well, it's, uh, it's a, a very interesting question. Uh, and I wanted to make sure, as I've been in the Senate now for a year, uh, I've seen the judicial nomination process, you know, a little bit up close and personal. And I will say I am somewhat underwhelmed by several elements of the judicial nominating process. 
One, the third party uh, nominating process, in my opinion, appears to be uh, the good old person's network. Is that that, that exactly? Instead of good old boys. Yeah, that was nice of you to include us ladies. It's it's a good old person's network where at the end of the day, you know, the top prestigious firms tend to reward their top prestigious buddies. And they kind of roll that forward, which is one way to elect. Uh, Now... It's interesting, too, that you look at uh, the retention elections and we, you know, we've actually had judges who, based on their performance in the courtroom, a third party objective, JPEC is the name of the uh, name of the organization that reviews our judges and they've actually told the voters do not retain this judge. I always look at that website before I go. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the hits go through the, the roof on a regular basis, but anyway, they really don't. Uh, the fact of the matter is people aren't, they don't know that that website exists, and because they don't go to the JPEC website, that's J-E-P-C, uh, you can Google it, uh, Utah J-E-P-C, uh, because they don't know that, they don't know you know, all of the rankings, they don't see the information that's available, and some of the information is great, but that recommendation that comes for the judge and the fact that we would have a judge that doesn't measure up but still makes it through the retention election Seems like we might have a problem with the retention election. So, Mars, if this process. works to just make us elect people, because sometimes even when I get to just local government, because I don't know a lot about the people I'm electing, it's like, do I skip this? Do I figure out how to research it? Sure. Would we, it work? We took a go at this already. We took a go at this. We had this style until mid 80s. Judge Uno was the last one elected this way. And it, 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 it was, in my opinion, it was a disaster. It didn't work. It inserted, it inserted politic into it. Now, what I, I mm. completely agree with the senator is is how do we get people to focus more? And maybe that could be the nature of the bill, is the the process he speaks of is actually driven by um, a group of appointed attorneys, and it is a combination of secret shoppers that show up in courthouses and and uh, their peer groups. And it's not a perfect science. I will say when you go I to agree. the rating score, um, there's been some criticism about does it have some built-in implicit bias the yep. way systems do. Sure. So there's all that. But really what we're getting to, which I like about this, is, hey, how can we get anyone to pay more attention or not just vote yes on everything? Thank you. But I will say... To legislate it to be open elections, I think, is a misstep. So why don't we put some money into promotion? Or why don't we put some money into education? Or why don't we put some money into understanding, uh, uh, having citizens understand why it's so important to pay attention to who the judges are and how it impacts their life? I I think those um, educational efforts, JPEC is a hybrid body of the state, so it would it would accept funding, I'm sure, mm-hmm. with open arms. And I think some education might be needed that 97% approval of everybody means we're all just going, okay, okay, except the 3% of us who mm-hmm. are saying no, no, no. Yeah. Both of them are uninformed. I think it's an extreme step that has been tried in the past and failed in the past to move to a different election process. Okay. Uh, one more legislative thing I want to talk about before we move on. Yes, notice, lo- notice Maura did say... We need money, 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 and all those options for money. It does make the world Notice go what I have accomplished for free. That's all, all I'll say is, at the end of the day, people are now talking about the judicial sure. nominating process. We now have a, a conversation going. And at the end of the day, what I am really hopeful for, and I'm getting the, the number of Twitter love I get on <laughs> Twitter about this, uh, for that behind the scenes, what they don't see are the direct messages or emails from attorneys or from people who have been on the other side of that opinion and feel like they're not listened to 
who feel like, you know, if, if they want to overrule a judge, the only process is to spend a lot of money, go through the appellate process. And once they win at the appellate level, guess where they're sent? Right back to the same judge who now has been censured by these by the superior body in the appellate court. Sure, but you would agree with me that the way we change the judicial process is not, you know, in asserting politic into who gets put, put in as judges. If people think that politics doesn't play a part in it already, I I have some bad news but for all of them. But it's a closed system. It's a closed system. The politic is within the closed system. And 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 I, that's why I'll say is any is politics that is when you say closed system what do you mean by that more i mean you know it's it's directed by the judges and the attorneys um that system the ranking system of our judicial uh, the nomination system that you suggest i will say i think i'm going to give props to the governor here in which i think his interview process is actually rather in depth and they take that very seriously and they have amazing markers to look and see what balance and representation happens that appointment process of judicial nominees is some of the best i think we see in the state um, so I think there are some nuggets of goodness. I, I, I am yeah, going to go back like to where you started and acknowledge that it brought the discussion up. And if that yeah. was the goal, then I say, well done. Thank you. I'm, I'm still a no vote, but I'm I don't still have a, a no vote. vote. <laughs> uh, another bill that was probably wouldn't have made headlines yesterday, aside from the fact that what happened around it, is a gun storage bill that would make it a misdemeanor if you were to leave your gun out and someone were to mm-hmm. hurt themselves with it. Oddly enough, yesterday in Murray, we had a three-year-old climb up on the kitchen counter while the parents were still sleeping grabbed the gun, accidentally shot himself in the head. Horrifying by itself, by 5 p.m., we had a 9-year-old in Brigham City who essentially did the exact same thing. So now we have two small children in the hospital who had loaded guns at their disposal that they were able to use and accidentally shoot themselves. Would a gun storage bill that tells you you have to lock it up or keep it safe, but you can still keep it by your bed at night, Mara, does this do anything to make us safer, or can you not legislation making somebody a smart person? You can never legislate smart. We've we've proven that over and over. It's really important that with the responsibility of owning a weapon, you have consequences if you don't take that responsibility seriously. And I think that it's a misdemeanor uh, is the proposed, and I think it's highly important that we associate uh, weapons that were meant to do destructive and killing things that um, we can mandate and legislate the safety of those. And I think this is an important bill, and I think it's an important topic. So the only the only thing that gives me pause about it, because, I, I mean, I, I remember the cases yesterday, and that was um, those were very sad. Uh, I uh, The one thing that gives me pause about it, and despite those cases, is, you know, Here's a family who you have two families now with two injured uh, children, you know, and they're in the hospital and they're and they're dealing with that. Can you imagine if in this scenario of grieving, can you imagine if law enforcement showed up and arrested the father for keeping the gun while he's in the process of mourning with his or, you know, uh, mourning this injury or even potential, you know, in death or life changing in, uh, injury? Imagine being arrested then as a result, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that would what law enforcement would do. Yeah, but. But that that extreme example of, you know, and we've seen this before where, you know, you, people get arrested and can't make it to a funeral or can't do some of those things. So I, I don't know. Obviously, I, I doubt we would throw anybody in jail over that. I, I just don't see it. But that's the part that gives me pause is the family's been injured. There is a natural consequence that went along with the poor decision. And now we're going to 
compound it with additional crime. And that's what I was going to say. Can you, um, can you imagine if the child didn't get harmed because yeah. the gun was locked up? Yeah. Could you? I mean, I, I, think, I think it's reasonable to trust law enforcement enough, particularly yeah. on a misdemeanor charge, that they are not going to, if, if it's in fact related. But sure. can you imagine if it was your child yeah. and it was your neighbor who neighbor? didn't? Yeah, and that's right. so we can't legislate on the emotions of the moment, although we hope that the officials that we've put authority in um, are humans at that moment. Sure. But I do think it is rather important that we understand the relationship between rights and responsibilities. Yeah. And this is, for me, an appropriate connection mm-hmm. between the right of gun ownership and the responsibility of gun ownership. Mm. Yeah. And if nothing else, hopefully a deterrent and a reminder to others, because one is always too many on these things. We have so much to talk about, but I want to get to some new numbers really quickly. Uh, there was a gubernatorial debate today on the Silicon Slopes um, conference that was going on. I'm going to pull up the numbers here, but new gubernatorial uh, poll numbers out. This came from uh, Deseret News and Hinckley Institute, which are now um, teaming up, and they asked if this were to be held today, the actual election, would you vote John Huntsman Jr. or Spencer Cox? It was 33% for Huntsman Jr. and 25% for for Spencer Cox. Interesting numbers, and that was just talking to the GOP, and then there were some further poll numbers throwing Huntsman at 35 and then Spencer Cox at 25. So it's skewing away from Spencer Cox right now. And the rest of them are all in the 3%, 6%, and a lot of undecided. Mara, does it matter this far out that people are leaving from what was once the front runner, Spencer Cox? These conversations are really interesting and important because they give us platforms to talk about issues. They also give candidates platforms. But do they have a relationship to the election results? I don't think they do. I think one thing, I'm just going to be boring wonk for a second and say, you know, these these are not equals. These polls are not equals. The one we saw last week had a 13% variation. The one we saw, we saw a poll this last week that actually um, decided to segment the community and ask who of the unaffiliates and Democrats would become a Republican. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting conversation maybe that w- the three of us want to have. But that's not necessarily an yeah. election result, right? No. So I think when you look at these, look at the way they ask the question, look at the polling, that they're that meaning the who they polled, who they asked the question to. These sample sizes are relatively small. I mean, we only have to look no further than the last mayoral election and asked Jim DeBacchus how those polling... I mean, polling is difficult, and uh, people are tricky. One of the things we know, uh, we do a lot of opinion research, and one of the things we know is that we are trickier than we used to be. We don't always tell the truth because we're gaming it a little bit. So I think it matters. I think one consistent data point that people should be looking at is that predominant number is undecided. And so I do think that um, if you look from a year ago, and and I'm going to use Spencer Cox because he got out in front, he is softening, and I think it's because he got out front, and now you're seeing people start looking at choices, and now you're going to see jockeying around. And you have to ask yourself not only what the numbers say, but who the voters will be. Because remember, we're talking about Republican closed primary or caucus voters. We're not talking about general election voters yet. Yeah, my favorite part, though, if you follow them on Instagram, whether it's Greg Hughes or Amy Winder Newton or Jeff Birmingham or Spencer Cox, all of them running, they're all out in our communities, in our rural counties. They're talking to people about problems, and whether they're elected or not, this is a lot of people who are gathering a lot of information that I hope will help us in the end of the state. That's the fun part for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, these, these governor races, I have actually not been in politics before. Uh, you know, I was just a starving young lawyer at uh, when the last uh, open contest was. So I was, wasn't really as uh, attentive as I am now. 
and and seeing this open contest, I, I've seen people describe it as you know this this battle for ideas and this battle for you know how how can we lead the state in the next. I'm excited about where these candidates are taking our thinking. I really am. There's there we have good people that we are have running. Good people, this is this is. It's it's really a tragedy in some ways that the Democratic Party hasn't yet, you know, brought someone forward and isn't being included kind of in these conversations yet because I think, you know, those ideas need to be had as well. Absolutely. I wish we had more time. We have this impeachment going on, but no time to talk about it. That's so a thing. I know. We have su- such an important uh, docket here in Utah and many things to talk about. So next week, we'll figure out if it's over you're, with or you're not. You're not going to let me bash on the condom issue again this week. I know. It's, I feel left. I, I know. Feel sort of We're disappointed. so out of time, and I okay. have to be on TV. Okay. But if you wanted that set, I think it sold for $1,300. <laughs> That's expensive <laughs> sex, people, for what, 12 condoms. But you could frame them on your wall. So expensive. more to talk about next week. I know expensive sex. It happens to some people, Dan McKay. Thank you so much for joining us and being part of it. We'll be back here next week, same time, same place. Thanks so much.